0: Please note, if you're listening to this, you must be 18 years of age or older. This podcast contains adult themes and may include descriptions that listeners could find offensive. Thank you. I do not find people to fit the spaces in my life. I make spaces to fit the people in my life. Jorath Innkeeper
1: Welcome to the Kinky Nerdy Poly Podcast. This is episode 11. This is G. This is M. And this is the 11th episode of the Kinky Nerdy Poly Podcast, where we're going to be talking about building queer and poly relationships. Queer and polyamorous
0: relationships.
1: Yes, polyamorous. We're going to keep on keep on trying to remember that. I even put in the title of the show notes, and I still
0: forgot. That's uh, all right. We're, we're doing our best. We're doing our best. It's okay. a learning process.
1: So, Em, do you want to want to talk about how we came to this topic?
0: Yeah, we want to give a shout out to one of our listeners, Felicity, for sending us this question. So it's kind of like a two-parter question, and she kind of prefaces her question with explaining that she's polyamorous, she's pansexual, she's kind of out recently, people in her family and friends and workplace. And she has a two-part question to kind of to go along with these two parts of her identity. One is, what is it like and how do you kind of start a relationship with a clean slate where you kind of want to incorporate queer people into your future relationships. How to manage building a queer relationship. And especially when you're starting kind of from scratch. And also, uh, one other part of this question is, you know, if you do have a current partner, or primary partner, or first partner, whoever you're currently with, you know, what if they're not experienced, or they they don't have experience either in like being in a queer relationship or a polyamorous relationship, and they might have jealousy issues, how how to manage not only the queer aspect, but also the polyamorous aspect. And then the second part is, so you already have this partner, and what if, like, their perspective is straight? And how do you go about kind of introducing your straight and monogamous partner to queer and polyamorous relationships without destroying what you kind of already have? Yes. First
1: off, I would like to thank Felicity for sending in this email. Uh, she is the first person who sent us a email, and I'll give out another shout out to her at the end of the podcast, along with some other people who have sent us uh, some email feedback. But I think the first thing I'd like to do is to... So Felicity uses the term pansexual. I think it'd be good uh, for our listeners who don't know to define what pansexual means. So, I looked up the uh, sort of dictionary definition of the word, and the dictionary definition is a sexuality which is attracted to people regardless of biological sex or gender identity. Right. Now, you know, there's some conversation online about sort of what the difference between a pansexual and a bisexual is. I don't really want to delve into that too much, but I think, I think the basic thing to take away from this sort of label is that somebody who identifies as pansexual is going to be attracted to people who are of both genders or... Not both genders. Uh, you mean all genders. Uh, let me finish. Okay, sorry. Of both genders and transgender people and people who are non-binary.
0: Yeah, but except when you say both genders, and then you say transgender, they're not separate. Like, transgender people are either, they're kind of, like, binary identities, so they're within the gender. So that, I just would say, like, pansexual people are attracted to people regardless of gender. Like, they're likely to be attracted to somebody of any gender. But I wouldn't ever separate, like, both genders from transgender.
1: (sighs) Uh... I guess I was trying to simplify things for our listeners, but I think you're right. Yeah, Yeah,
0: but because only because I feel like it can be invalidating if you just put trans in another category. Yeah.
1: So, yes. All right. Uh, I see. Yeah. Now, uh, just because you're pansexual does not mean that you're automatically polyamorous. So you may be attracted to all genders, but that does not mean you want to have relationships with everybody at the same time.
0: Yeah. So I think that there are some misconceptions sometimes around bisexuality or pansexuality where people think, oh, you have to be polyamorous to be bi or or pan. And that's certainly not the case. So there's there's no pressure to be polyamorous just because you happen to like more than one gender. And also like bi and pan people totally both valid. That's my contribution to that debate. Yeah, too. Just to preface it both, like, bi people and pansexual people are totally valid.
1: Yes. But going a little bit deeper into Felicity's question, the first part, which is sort of how, if you are recently sort of out as being queer and polyamorous, like, how do you go about building relationships? And I'm going to use relationships in a sort of broad sense, I'm not just talking about romantic and sexual relationships. I'm also talking about friendships because I believe it can be quite isolating to be out as queer uh, or out. It can be quite isolating to be out as any sort of deviation from the American norm. So I think when you do become out, you're probably going to lose some friends. Uh, You're probably going to lose some relationships in your own family, your own biological family. So when Felicity is going to be asking about, you know, how do you start building these relationships? I'm going to, I'm going to also be talking about how to build friendships as well, because it is hard to be alone. I did not say that well, uh, because it can be quite hard to be alone after you come out.
0: And also, I feel like if you are in a current relationship and now you do want to come out as queer and polyamorous, that sometimes you might also lose your partner. Yes. And that that can also be difficult. So these are all things to consider, too, is, you know, it's not easy and there might be potential loss and sort of have to figure out if for you, like, do I want to take this risk? And I I certainly feel like it's been worth it for me. And I know many people would feel similarly, but not everybody's in the place to do that.
1: For example, while I am mostly out as polyamorous and polyamorous and kinky, I think to my friend circle, I am not out as trans... I'm not... I'm mostly in the closet when it comes to my transgender identity. There are some people in my friend group who know, but it's not a widely known thing in my friend's group. And my family, for the most part, does not know about anything that I do. So when you... When you decide to come out, you can choose who you come out to, and uh, it is okay to exclude people if you feel like telling them would negatively impact your life.
0: Yeah, and I I agree that's definitely true. I I pretty much didn't come out for a while to most of my family. I was pretty out as being trans for my you know with my friends, even at school. You know, my professors all knew not my family, and I did delay on that for a while because I didn't feel like it was safe for me yet. And despite that, I mean, that does also have its own challenges because I was very much out with, you know, this, it's almost like I had two separate identities. Uh, So it is difficult also to restrict who you're out to. And then also, you know, if there's overlapping, like if you have a family friend that you tell, and that friend is really close with your family, it can, of course, get out. So it's never going to be guaranteed that things won't get around
1: so if you are starting from scratch uh, no matter sort of what the starting uh, no matter for what reason why you are now out as as poly and queer i think one thing to realize is that the internet is a very big help Uh, the internet allows you to meet up with your local communities allows you to find people who have similar interests that you do and it allows you to find an online community, which can often translate to a real-life community. Though when it comes to dating, I think people need to realize that if you are queer and if you're polyamorous, this is significantly decreasing your dating pool.
0: Absolutely. That being said, this was one of my like worst fears about coming out being queer and poly okay so this is one of my things right like I was kind of scared of this I was like oh no like there's gonna be so few people that are gonna be okay with someone who's queer and polyamorous and trans and kinky and oh my gosh I'm never gonna find anyone it's not true I will say you're yes it is a lot smaller the pool is smaller but it's bigger than you think and actually trends are shifting so I have linked we'll link to this article in the show notes and I'm going to pull up some more from this later too, but this uh, this is a statistic that I found, and it says only 51% of people under 30 years old reported that their ideal relationship is completely monogamous. So only just a little bit over half. So almost half of people under 30 in their ideal relationship, it is not completely monogamous. So, yeah, I, I have sort of seen this trend
1: in the past decade of there's been more sort of reporting about polyamory relationships. There's been more media attention towards polyamorous relationships. There's actually like a reality TV show about a polyamorous household. I only know this because my roommate watches it. But, you know, there is more sort of awareness and attention coming to polyamorous relationships. And I think more and more people are starting to realize that just because monogamous relationships is how it's been done in the past doesn't mean that's how it has to go going forward. However, I would like to throw a little bit of throw a little bit of caution on this statistic because while it's forty nine percent wait no so forty nine percent of people are saying that you know, they're okay with some sort of non-monogamous relationship that does not automatically equal that they are in the polyamorous community or educated about polyamory. No, of course
0: not. But its it does mean that I think, like, our dating pools are not as small as they might seem. Because, yeah. like, we do feel like, okay, this is a niche. But really, I've been very lucky. I found a, a lot of people who actually are pretty similar to me and not, like, similar in in, a, in every single way, but at least comfortable with me being trans, poly, kinky... Uh, polyamorous kinky and queer and also i had something that i was just about to say as well that of course now has completely slipped my mind got to think about it for a second yeah oh yes this was my point okay i think that that also polyamory is gaining a lot of uh kind of mainstream kind of attention lately yeah and so actually it's also being seen as like quote trendy like oh like oh you're just saying you're polyamorous because it's trendy <laughs> Do you think so? I I've had literally someone I went to a workshop this past week and oh, yeah? we were talking about identities and we had to talk about stereotypes about different types of identities and when I brought up polyamorous that was the number one response.
1: Huh. That is interesting.
0: That it's a it's a trend. It's just like and so somebody said, like, Oh yeah, back in my day the trend was being bisexual. You know, we were all bisexual in middle school. Now, uh <laughs> actually it's uh what kind of middle school did that
1: person go
0: to? No, it's true. There's, like, these trends. And, of course, we weren't saying it in a bad way. We were saying it's good to explore your identity. Okay. Like, yeah. And when I was growing up and I was in middle school, I there was a lot of us who were identifying as bisexual. Okay. Because uh, that was the word that we knew and the word that we had um, at the time. And then, like, I know a lot of people have started saying pansexual or whatever. And it's good for people to explore their identities. So I'm not saying it in a bad way, but I think now a lot of people see like, oh, like that's what all of the kids are doing these days is polyamory. Like, uh, it's just that weird trend. Okay.
1: That's interesting. I I did not realize that polyamory was trendy. Does that mean, does that mean the people who are polyamorous before it got trendy were hipster polyamory people? I mean, I guess it depends
0: on what. What your definition of hipster is. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I don't consider, like, I actually, so part of this workshop was, like, you had to say something that you weren't that is a stereotype. So I had to say, like, I am polyamorous, and I'm not just doing it because it's trendy. Okay. So we ought to make a statement like that. So I think probably, you know, I mean, there there might be people out there who are wanting to explore polyamory because... They hear about their friends doing it, or they hear about it on these TV shows. It's in the media now, or they hear about it, whatever. Or they hear about it on a podcast. Or they hear about it on a podcast. Maybe, you know, people want to explore that. Yes. And that's cool, and it's okay. And I just, I want to drive this home, and like every episode is, you can be this now, and you can be something else later. And it's okay if you decide, I want to try polyamory And then later you decide, I don't like polyamory.
1: So if our listeners remember back from episode seven, getting needs and wants met, they'll remember that I consider polyamory to be a secondary identity. And I do think that if I met the right person and I thought we had a deep enough connection and they wanted to be monogamous with me, I would be monogamous for them. So, you know, it's okay to take an identity, try it out, and then... Decide that it's not working for you, or it might just be a secondary identity for you, and you can change to something else
0: later. Absolutely. Uh, The important thing with exploring, too, though, is you have to be honest with the other people that you're looking to get into a polyamorous relationship with, or in whatever it is, whatever your arrangement is. You have to be honest, like, hey, I'm just exploring this right now. I don't know if this is what I want. Are you comfortable getting into this type of relationship with me? and exploring with me knowing that this might not be what I want.
1: Yes, I think that is an important thing to tell a potential partner, because I definitely think that there are some people who are tired of being the person you get to try something on. The stereotype that I I think of is there are lesbians who are tired of being a woman's first experiment. Mm-hmm. They want to find another lesbian who wants to be in a committed relationship with them. So I think it's very important to be upfront and honest about why you're doing this. If you're just exploring, tell that to your other partner, uh, tell that to your partner. And, you know, if they're up for that, then they're up for that. But, you know, concealing it is not right. going just to be, be helpful for the relationship. be about your intentions.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I wanted to read a little bit from this article that I have. So I just quoted that statistic about, you know, only 51% of people under 30 uh, years old reported that their ideal relationship is completely monogamous. There's a, an article that I took that from and they have a whole section and I really liked this. The full article is quite good. Okay. But it's divided into subsections and the subsections are pretty substantial. So one of the subsections is how to structure a relationship together. All right. I was like, that's kind of like how to build a relationship. And then the subtext is like, or what do you mean an open relationship? And so the article is, I think, extremely well written and maps out a lot of these things that we're talking about. One of the first things that they bring up is looking at the stereotypical relationship escalator. Okay. I'm not sure if we had mentioned the relationship escalator in a previous episode.
1: We have mentioned in a previous episode, but you know, for anybody who if you if this is your first episode, the relationship escalator refers to the series of expected steps that you are expected to take in a relationship. For example, if you go on a date with somebody if you go on a first date with somebody, if that date goes well, you're expected to go on a second date if that second date goes well you're expected to go to a third date dating leads to moving in moving in leads to marriage that is a relationship escalator
0: right so in non monogamy and even if even in a less conventional monogamy which is how this article puts it because you don't even have to be non monogamous to want to reject the relationship escalator yes um you could just be like less traditional there are a couple of things that you should think about and The first step is sort of, you know, creating this reality. So you should sit down with your partner, your potential partner, people that you want to open up the relationship with, and each person should sort of ask themselves and ask each other, what does an open relationship mean to you? What does it mean to me to be in an open relationship? So everybody can create that shared reality together. So you sort of have to define your own path. And I think that that's... You know, there's no map here. There's no escalator that you're going to be taking. And this is actually very comprehensive. There's another point in here as well that we have talked about, about relationship anarchy. Yeah. So do you you remember this relationship anarchy? Yeah, I.
1: Yeah, we've talked about relationship anarchy before.
0: Right. So, you know, after you kind of figure out what does an open relationship mean to you, what does it mean to your partner, your potential partner... Uh, Our partners.
1: Yes, it's very important to figure out whether an open relationship means hierarchical poly or relationship anarchy,
0: right? And or whatever the flavors are in between are kind of like a mix of them. You know what's okay versus not okay in that relationship. And so some people will go by the hierarchical. Okay, there's a primary, a secondary, tertiary relationships, and in those realms you could have multiple primaries. But the typical one is like you have one primary that's normally like who you live with. Yes. It's who you might marry, whatever.
1: Nesting partner.
0: Nesting partner. That's sort of like your more, quote, typical relationship. Then like your secondaries might be, um, you know, the people that you go on dates with every once in a while, you know, or maybe once a week. Um, You might spend a weekend with them. Um, and then your tertiaries might be like those people like Comets. That's another name for it. It's people that like, oh, when they're in town, you'll grab a drink. You'll go out on a date, do some play. But it's not it's not really like a continual ongoing thing. Yes. And then relationship anarchy is kind of, uh, this says the belief that relationships should not be bound by rules aside from what people involved mutually agree upon. So rather than having like a structured thing, you sort of see where everybody kind of wants to be.
1: You, you negotiate each relationship with the per with that person is sort of, my basic understanding. And it's not just solely limited to romantic or sexual relationships. It can also extend to friendships. Right.
0: But keeping in mind, I think that this is where relationship anarchy can go bad. Okay. Because, because it is about like valuing each relationship individually. Yeah. And it's really about that. The downside is that you can be short-sighted into how that relationship is going to impact all your other relationships. So people who want to try relationship anarchy, I just give a little bit of caution to. I personally love it. I think it's a great method. You know, you have to be honest that, yes, in an ideal world, you could absolutely just love and cherish each person in their own uniqueness and have your own individual relationships with them. But there's going to be conflicts. Relationships are going to affect each other. And you need to be mindful of that. And you still need boundaries. And I think what I see a lot of the times in relationship anarchy failing is when people are not... Setting those boundaries. Yeah. So, for a uh, sort of
1: personal example, T is a big believer in relationship anarchy. And, you know, she spent a lot of time sort of trying to value her friendships as well as her uh, romantic and sexual relationships. And I have supported her throughout this because she started this kind of like a year or two after we started going to polyamory. Mm-hmm. I've supported her throughout this process. And, you know, I still support her but the fact of the matter is while she values each relationship the fact of the matter is she does spend more time and more energy with other people so we at this point we live in different cities when she comes to visit when she comes to the city i'm living in she is usually visiting one of her other partners she's not visiting me and i'm okay with that like i am basically so something of a secondary to her now, uh, to use a hierarchical polyamorous term. But I think it's important to keep in mind that while we may have infinite love for the people in our lives, we do not have infinite time for the people in our lives.
0: Yeah, and I would say even, I know it's a very romantic concept to think like, oh, that we have like infinite love. And I think that that's somewhat true. But the thing is that the way that love is expressed is often through time, through emotional energy and commitment, through bonding, quality time together, through those five love languages, which we talked about again in episode seven. So even though like, yes, our internal love, our feeling of love can be so infinite and powerful. And sometimes I'm amazed at like how much I can love people. Um, you know, the truth is that the way that love can be expressed isn't the same for everyone. And yes. that means that ultimately, even if my internal sense of love is the same or is infinite, it's not really in reality, it's not infinite mm-hmm. um there are just more pe- there are just some people that I'm gonna be able to spend more time with, give more energy to uh and that equates to love for us so I feel like that's where again people can mess up is they don't realize they like to get they like that romanticized kind of idea of love is infinite, and they don't realize but the way that I express love is finite, yes, so. Things to keep in mind as you're building these queer and polyamorous relationships.
1: Yeah. Uh, I think uh, one thing that's also helpful to keep in mind when you are building these relationships, especially if you're looking for somebody, if you're looking for a partner to a romantic or sexual partner, is it is a lot easier to find partners if you are in your local community. So I don't think you should just be trying, if you're starting from scratch and you want to find a partner, it's best to try to join your local community. Go to pride events, go to meetup groups, find groups on FetLife. Both meetup and FetLife have a geographic component to them in that you can search your local area. Meetup.com, you know, there's plenty of there's plenty of groups on there. You can find queer groups on meetup.com. You can find polyamorous groups on meetup.com. You might even be able to find kinky groups on meetup.com. Uh, I haven't tried it for
0: that. I haven't either, although Kik has kink groups.
1: Kick isn't really a platform, is it? I thought it was a messaging service.
0: I guess it's a messaging service, but I have heard that people have found people in their area who want to do kink things, create kink events. Okay.
1: FetLife is another resource that you might want to use. It is a explicitly kinky social networking site, which we'll probably talk about in a later episode. But there is a ge- if you create an account, you can set your account's location, and you can search in your area for groups. Now, I say that FetLife is an explicitly kinky social uh, social network. It has other things. So you can search for a polyamorous group on FetLife. You can search for a queer group on FetLife. And you'll probably find those, uh, you'll find those groups on FetLife. Um, Now that I think about it, I did not put this in the show notes, but Reddit might be another place that you can find groups, though that's much less geographically bound, I feel like.
0: Yeah. I mean, Reddit has a lot of rules around different things and I'm not sure what's allowed in terms of that.
1: Yeah. But still, if you're not, if you're not having any luck with meetup or FetLife, you might want to try Reddit.
0: Also, honestly, the way that I found a lot of fellow queer and polyamorous people is by like finding my local LGBT resource center or like queer community center. Because even though not all queer people are polyamorous, uh I do find that those circles overlap a lot, and so if you like go to local queer events, you'll probably find someone who's polyamorous
1: okay as for i haven't I haven't had any luck with that, but as for myself, there's not but there is something about overlap between uh board gaming and polyamorous in my experience. This just might be local to my region. A large number of kinky and polyamorous people I've met have been through board gaming. And in fact, I don't think I—I I don't think even M knows this. But do you know how I first met T? I think you've told me this. But how did you first meet T? I met T at a board gaming event at a sex dungeon.
0: Yes, I think you did tell me this.
1: Okay, so there is overlap between these communities, and you know you might have to spend some time trying to suss out that overlap, though. Especially in board gaming, because there's a lot of straight white guys in board gaming who might not be tolerant of your lifestyle.
0: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's a risk, you know, in any of these areas, trying to find people. And also, you know, sometimes you might think, I don't know, because just in my experience, I haven't tried a whole lot of, like, dating apps or anything. But when I did briefly, there was just a lot of couples who were looking for a third. Yeah person and there was like kind of like straight cis men who didn't understand my situation and i i did go on one date with this guy and i just remember explaining Polly, i'm very upfront about it like if i'm going on a date with you okay well i'm have to gonna have to explain i'm poly yes polyamorous he was just like well what does that mean about me then like as in like well if you already have people then why are you even
1: out here, with well, out me. here,
0: dating. You already have, you already have partners, so you know it can be really complicated.
1: I do think out of the various online dating services I've seen, OkCupid kind of has the most progressive user base, and it's easier to filter out people on OkCupid because they have such an extensive question system, and you can match people on specific questions. So you go find the all the kinky questions and answer them in the way that you want want them to be answered you find all the polyamorous questions and you answer those and it's a lot easier to sort of filter people that way on okcupid okay than i think it, it is with any other dating service
0: i'll trust you with that cuz i never use okcupid okay
1: so i've used okcupid okay briefly i am terrible at internet dating just for our listeners to know i g is terrible at internet dating <laughs> I don't know what to send in the first message, I, I'm i much better in person than I am online.
0: That's a good thing. That's like that saying. Because I used to feel really bad that like, I look horrible in photos, and I'm like, wow, I look horrible in photos, like I look so much better in person. And then like, I read this one post about it and it was like, that's a good thing. Like, wouldn't it be worse the other way around? Like, wow, I look really great in photos, but I look awful in person. <laughs> It's like, no. So it's probably better that you are, like, much better at dating in person than you are online. Because it would suck if you were the other way around when you were really good at dating online. Uh,
1: yeah, And then you kind of
0: sucked in person.
1: Yeah, I do see your point.
0: Right? So that's, yeah. that's actually a good thing.
1: So if you do find a potential partner who does not have either the same experience you have with polyamory or has no experience with polyamory, you're going to have to do a lot of communicating And a lot of emotional work, and just a lot of education. People who don't know about polyamory are going to have a lot of questions, and you are basically going to be their main source for answers. Unless they have enough initiative that they're going to go out and do research on their own, they're going to be mostly asking you questions, and you're going to be the one who's going to be responding to them. So, I want. You know, I want people to keep in mind that if you decide to date somebody who does not have the same experience as you do, it's just a lot of work. And, you know, just be prepared for that. I'd also want to put in a word of caution, because if you find somebody who is monogamous, has no experience with polyamory, and wants to date you despite the fact that you're polyamorous or just tolerates it, like they have no interest in polyamory, they're just interested in you and you are interested in polyamory, I'd advise against it because this is a little bit like saying, in my opinion, it's a little bit like saying, you know, uh, M. Yes, G. I'd love to date you despite the fact that you're Buddhist. Ew. Yeah. Ew. I I don't think it's that dissimilar a dissimilar a dynamic. This is identity that's very important to you and them saying that they are willing to tolerate it or willing to date you despite of it means that there is some part of you that they're not willing willing to fully accept. Right. And in fact absolutely. that they are actively hostile against. So while in real life Em and I, we talk about Buddhism occasionally, but I think we're both aware that I do not have the same spiritual interest that you do. But I don't date you, despite the fact that you're Buddhist. Right. I date you, and I accept you, the whole you, including, including the Buddhism. That I'm Buddhist.
0: Right, exactly. Yeah, I agree with this. This is a good point. Like, even for people who might think, because I've seen this happen, where like one person will be like. I've never tried polyamory. I'm not really sure if it's for me, but I guess I'll give it a good shot for you, you know, because it's something you really want to try. And especially when it's like, because I've literally, I've seen this play out in like my friends. It's like the one person is like, okay, I'm poly and they almost make it an ultimatum to the other person, which can also be really bad. They're like, I'm poly and you're going to have to accept it or our relationship is over. That's really not good either. And then normally the other person, because they don't want to leave that person, is like, okay, I'll try, I'm going to learn as much as I can, I love you, and I want to try this. So that's good, they're, like, going to try, but now, like, also are feeling kind of coerced into it. Yes. Because they've been given an ultimatum. So then there's a lot of imbalance there. And I've actually seen it happen that, like, it literally flip-flops in this situation, where, like, the one person will be exploring it, Well, I mean, I think it goes one of two ways. The one person exploring it will then be like, oh, yeah, actually, I do really like polyamory. I'm really glad I gave this a try. And the person who originally, like, coerced them and gave them this ultimatum is like, oh, I don't want you dating other people now. Okay. I've seen that happen. Then I've also seen, of course, the other way, which I feel like is more common, too, where that person who is, like, kind of coerced into it and given this ultimatum about, like, you have to try polyamory, then ends up really unhappy and really miserable and really can't do it. And then it ends up being a very bad, messy breakup.
1: Yeah. The reason why I want to emphasize this point a lot is because I do have one friend uh, who I think M knows who I'm talking about, who has dated a lot of monogamous people. And this person is, like I've said to our listeners before, polyamory is like a secondary identity to me. For For my friend, polyamory is a primary identity. It is a core identity, and so this person always has four to five relationships going on at the same time, and you know when he dates a monogamous person, you know that monogamous person you know falls deeply in love with in love with my friend, and you know they're faced with this prospect of like, well, I can either not you know follow my feelings, which is not how we teach Americans to act or I can follow my feelings and try to make this work, uh, even though I do not want to be polyamorous. So, if you are in good faith trying to explore polyamory, I'd say go for it. But if you're da- if you're a monogamous person and you're dating a p- and you want to date a polyamorous person, I think you really need to look at your feelings, analyze them, and see why you're doing it and what your emotions are.
0: Yeah, and if you're a polyamorous person and you're dating someone who's monogamous and you started out as monogamous, don't be a dick and coerce your partner into trying polyamory. Yes. Don't give them an ultimatum about it. You know, definitely be honest. Be willing to discuss it. Yeah. But don't force it on them.
1: So as far as coming out to a partner... uh, So the second part of Felicity's question is coming out to a partner who is straight and monogamous. So... This is going to be really complicated and really personal to the people involved in the situation. So we're not going to be able to give a a silver bullet answer, which will work for all occasions. But I think it's helpful to remember that communication is going to be key. I, I want to remind our listeners, nobody is a mind reader. You are going to have to not only are you going to have to talk to your straight and monogamous partner about how you're feeling, you're going to have to encourage them to open up about what their feelings are. And you're going to have to do a lot of emotional, a lot of emotional work to get them to talk to you about it. Because this is going to get, this is going to get complicated real fast.
0: I think that there's another thing, too, and that is that you're kind of queering a heterosexual or a heteronormative relationship, and this in and of itself is tricky. So it's really important to divide that emotion- emotional labor that you were just talking about equally. So, you know, yes, you're gonna have to do a lot of emotional work to allow your partner to be comfortable expressing their feelings to you, and also they're gonna have to do some work, too, because, you know, if you are in it, you are in a partnership, you're in it together, Um, so you also want to make sure that, you know, like you're being respected Mm -hmm. and they're also giving some energy back as well. I would say like, be willing to experiment with new, with new things and encourage your partner to explore new things too. So, you know, maybe the jump is not just immediately into a full-blown polyamorous relationship. Maybe it's not a full-blown jump into a, you dating other queer people or you finding queer people to bring into the relationship or whatever, what have you. Maybe you just start experimenting with little things.
1: Uh, yes. So for our listeners, I think you, if you recall, like T and I spent about a year doing research about polyamory before we decided to go into an open relationship. So I think it's very important to take baby steps. Don't just jump into relationships the moment you tell your partner about this. Talk to your partner. Have conversa- Have an ongoing conversation about how both of you are feeling. I would also highly encourage research. There's lots of there are books out there, More Than Two, The Ethical Slut. There's a podcast out there that you can listen to, I've heard.
0: (laughs) You've already made that joke once. I can't can't make it twice. I guess you can make it twice. (sighs) Share this podcast with your partner. Um, (laughs) Yeah, like go slow, be patient. This is an ongoing conversation and be willing to explore new things so long as you're, you're feeling safe, comfortable, and willing to do so. So, you know, again, no forcing of anything, but just be open-minded. And remember, I think it's important to remember that it's okay for you to want things, and it's okay for your partner to want things, and those things might not always line up, but I think if you have honesty and transparency, that it'll at least be easier to navigate navigate. And I think this is where I have to say, like, even if that means the end of your relationship, people don't like to contemplate the end of their relationship. Yes. So
1: I didn't realize I subscribed to this philosophy until somebody uh, put it into words. But I am of the firm opinion that people are more important than relationships. So one of the things that's important to T is to talk about how and she does this with all of her partners even before she was into polyamory, before she met me, she talked about how do you envision this relationship ending? Because on the balance of probabilities, it is much more likely that the relationship is going to end than it's going to last until you both die at the same exact second. So it is good to envision sort of what is the point where our relationship is becoming detrimental to the people who are in it and at that point i think you need to change the relationship to better suit those people and one change is to end a relationship and you know transition to a friendship or to take some time to sort of let your emotions cool down a bit to let the uh you know let the heartache fade a little before you try to rekindle a friendship
0: That's good advice. Yeah, I always kind of am able to see the end to a relationship. And I would, I've heard that from someone once, like, always be able to see the end of your relationship. Um, And so I do reflect on that occasionally, you know, my current partners, I obviously love all my partners, including Yuji and, and X. And the fact is, like, you know, those relationships are going to end someday. And I, I can find some peace and some comfort with knowing that at least I have the relationships that I have now. But I'm not a mind reader or a, I'm not a not a mind reader. You're not a mind reader. I'm not a psychic is what I meant to say. <laughs> okay. I don't know the future. So there's just one other thing that I wanted to touch on before we end our podcast. And that's that if you are coming out, if you're currently in a straight and, mono- and or monogamous relationship, you know, there's going to be complications with building a queer relationship, such as being perceived as straight. So especially, you know, as a pansexual person, if you're pansexual and you're a woman Mm -hmm. and you're currently dating someone who is a perceived man, uh, and especially if that man is also perceived as straight, Mm -hmm. you are most likely in a straight passing relationship. Yes. And so you pass as a woman and your partner or or one of your main or primary partners passes as a man you might be viewed as straight by others, and so maintaining a queer identity in a straight-seeming relationship can be difficult. And so, as you continue to build queer relationships, again, as G stated, and that I need to empathize- emphasize? I can speak. Emphasize as well, is that also maintaining these identities in- and building these relationships with people outside of partners, like friends. And so... Maintaining your queer identity can include consuming media that is by or represents queer people, doing activism related to queer issues, and finding a queer support group or support network such as fellow queer friends. Those are all going to be so important. So don't be afraid to get out there, get to network with fellow queer people and polyamorous people, even if it's just as friends, and in order to maintain and honor your identity. Yeah. That's the last comment that I had. Yeah, I think
1: one of the things that I personally have struggled with is finding, because I've been so, what's the word I want to use? Cautious. Because I've been so cautious with letting people know about my trans identity, you know, I don't have that, I mean, besides besides M and M's partners, You know, I don't I don't know any other I don't have any other trans people who are close friends. So that's something I'm definitely looking for as I sort of become more out as my trans identity to find a queer community that can support me in my transition. Also, I think it's important to note that some of this advice is applicable to coming out as kinky as well. Finding a kinky community, you know, talking to your partner. If they are not kinky and you know looking for online resources to help you.
0: Absolutely. I think everything that we've talked about in this episode can be applied to monogamous relationships. It can be applied to even straight relationships to some degree depending on what it is that you're coming out about. It can be applied to kinky, it can be applied to a lot of different topics. Yeah.
1: So on that note, I think I'd like to uh, give a shout out. To our listeners who have emailed us, so the first person who ever emailed us was Felicity, so and she is the one who sent us in this question. There's another question that she asked, which we'll be getting to at some point. Uh, So Felicity, if you're listening, we'll get to you. We'll get to the other part of your question soon. The other two people who have emailed us are Katrina and Svetlana. So I want to thank you so much for the feedback that you gave us. It's really important to us. When people email us, because that's one of the few ways that we we can receive feedback and, and we can interact improve, with you. We'll interact with our listeners, but also improve the podcast.
0: Absolutely, it makes our podcast better. And we always like hearing about what you like and what you think we could do better, and also like suggested topics. So we super appreciate you, and and also please share with your friends who might be interested as well. Share with your friends. Share with you know partners or partners of partners um if you have them and just keep spreading our podcast around
1: yeah and if you would like to support us there is a link to our tip jar at the bottom of the show notes so with that i think this is g this is m don't be afraid to love how you love love what you love and love who you love if you'd like to get in touch with either M or myself, you can tweet us at KMP Podcast. You can find us at kmppodcast.tumblr.com or you can email us at kinky.nerdy.poly at gmail.com.
0: So, oh, wait, we also talked about eggplants.
1: Yes. I I have apparently... Ruined M's innocence with regards to the eggplant emoji.
0: So, I here's the thing though somebody followed me on Instagram. Yes. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. And I was like, oh, they make vibrators, but they like make vibrators of like common emojis, apparently. Yes, I was like, "That's fascinating." (laughs) I love that they make these vibrators out of these emojis, and then they're like their famous one. Yes, of course, is eggplant one. Is the eggplant one? And I love eggplant emojis, and I've been using eggplant emojis for a while now. I because I (laughs) like eggplant, not because of anything else. I just enjoy eggplant, and I I, can't just pause you. Yeah, so you're telling
1: me you've just been
0: sending the eggplant emoji. (laughs) Do people not just send eggplant emojis? I've just been sending people eggplant emojis.
1: <laughs> there are probably some very confused people in your contacts list. Uh, if they know that you're ace. There are probably some very confused people in your contact list.
0: I was wondering why, like, someone had ro- wrote back, my one friend, and he he went, like, he, and he winked-faced at me. He did winky face at me. I was like, <laughs>
1: Did you not make the connection? I then? didn't.
0: I was like, Of course everybody winks at eggplants. <laughs> <laughs> so uh yeah, so anyway, I was telling G about this and you know, G was like, Well, I mean
1: uh, so yeah, and was telling me like, oh, they make a eggplant they make an eggplant emoji and I said, Well, that seems like an obvious one to make a vibrator out
0: of. And I was like, Well, why is that an obvious one? They also have a whale one, that's not obvious. Because like okay okay G's G's whole point is like well the eggplant looks like a dick I was like this does not look like a dick looks like an eggplant
1: out of the various emojis that are available on every every cell phone keyboard the eggplant is the one that most looks like a dick.
0: And I had no idea.
1: Yeah. And then I think I blew your mind when I told you about the whale emoji. Yeah.
0: I how I was like, how could a whale emoji possibly?
1: Yeah. It just, it's just blowing water out of its blowhole. Just spewing, and spewing all over the
0: place. Well, it's been ruined for me. That's <laughs> it. I can never buy that eggplant. Because I was actually into it for a second. I was like... Heck, yeah, I want an eggplant vibrator, love me some eggplant, and now I'm like, oh, it's supposed to be it's supposed to be a dick. <laughs>